Amen. Hey, that's right. We are in our study. World religions, cults, and the occult. How many guys brought your workbook? Yeah. Woo! Because we actually get to fill in, I think, two blanks as we finish it up. Uh, your faith is now restored. But that's right. We are in, once again, the topic, one more time, Roman Catholicism. And by way of recap, as you turn to that final page there that we're getting ready to fill in, uh, we've already seen by way of recap, it's pseudo-Christian. It's a cult. It's a cult by secular and biblical definitions. They are demonic. Uh, it's not just you. Dis they disagree. They want to get ready to kill you, knock you out, etc., blah, blah, blah. Leading to Revelation 17, the woman that rides the beast. Now, we took a look at the classic signs of a cult, and we're going to see this in the next chapter, Lord William, with Mormonism because they do the same thing. These are cult. We're getting to world religions. Now we're making the switch into cults, and then eventually we'll get into the occult, hence the title of our study. Signs of a cult, the authority. They don't have the same authority. That's the problem not only with Roman Catholicism, but anybody uh, who's a cult because they got something else than the Bible. That's where they always go wrong downhill. They've got the tradition. They got Pope. They got the councils. They got all that stuff. They get wrong the nature of God, the Trinity, or the personal work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the big one, of course. Man, you get all kinds of things wrong, but don't get this one wrong. How do you get to heaven? The means of salvation. And once again, over and over and over again, I hope it's getting abundantly clear by their own writings and teachings. This is not the same thing as Christianity. It is a works-based false gospel. You have to do stuff to get to heaven. That's a blasphemy, and that is an atrocity uh, and an affront to the cross of Jesus Christ. Then we saw the last couple of weeks, well, what else did they get wrong? Okay, and unfortunately, it just keeps going on and on and on. Even we saw with the, their terminology, even their very terminology, it just the very verbiage of the words they use is all false, 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 false. There's false teaching all over the place. And we saw about Mary worship saints now. We're going to get into a couple more little ones, just kind of uh, last-minute details. And again, we could go on for a long time, but we've got to cut it somewhere. And then we'll get into how do you witness these folks. And this is what I call, we go from Mary worship to saints to the quadruple S's. Dun, dun, dun. Doesn't that sound awesome? Well, I like it. And I'm just going to bunch them all together as I try to get some, uh, just to give you highlights there. And that would be stigmata. How many of you guys have heard the stigmata signs? And, but yeah, we'll deal with that. Signs in general, second S, so-called prophets and certainly their superstitious attitudes, so the, what I call the quadruple S's. But let's take a look at that first one, the stigmata. Ooh, what's up with that? So uh, basically, uh, what that is, is supposedly, these are the spontaneous appearances of wounds that are supposed to be the same kind of wounds that appeared on Jesus. And they appear upon uh, Catholic folks during typically Catholic uh, festivals. And they're supposed to be the wounds. It could be on the hands, the feet, the side, the scalp, where the crown of thorns were from Jesus. Uh, on their back could supposedly appear uh, things that they look like they've been uh, whipped and their face being beaten. Or frankly, you just had a car accident and you're trying to whatever but let's just move on the person uh, may have one of these signs typically you always see these people say oh look i got the crucifixion in the hand right you've probably seen pictures of some of that baloney uh, or it could be one of them it could be all of them in theory according to these accounts so the question is is it real rhymes with wrong wrong you guys are discerning tonight uh, so what in the world is it well obviously it's demonic it's a lie it's false teaching uh, false occurrence, demonic manifestation, some psychological uh, issue going on with the people. Uh, and, and let's take a look at some of that evidence. Stigmata happened within the Roman Catholic context. Quote, I've not heard of it occurring with Ro non-Roman Catholics. So something strategically within their own camp. Now what's within their own camp? False teaching, false teaching, false teaching, false teaching, false teaching, false teaching. And they even listen to demonic visions from the sky. So you got demonic false teachings. What do you think this is? It's a bunch of baloney. It's, it's, it's not in there. Uh, furthermore, in the real crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the nails in the hands were not in the palms. Right? Historically, they were, we know this for a fact, they were right here in the wrists, okay, in that area. So technically, if these were even real, and they're not, why do they always have the people, oh, look at my hand in the palms? That's not where he was nailed. So if it really was from God, God's not going to lie, and he's not going to be inconsistent. Hello, he's holy, and he doesn't lie. If you're going to have them, they need to be right here. Okay, so the whole thing's a bunch of baloney uh, in the first place. It's superstition. It's another one of their signs that they superstition signs that they just supposed wonders and miracles and this miracle spring and this. And I saw this vision in the sky. It's the whole thing just to get people sucked into this uh, system. Okay, but that's the uh, superstition. Now, open your Bibles to First John chapter four. First John chapter four. If you find John, what do you do? 
Take a serious right, because that's not the same book. Okay, written by John, but uh, basically, why don't you just start at the back end, Revelation, and take a left. Okay, and you get there much quicker. First uh, John chapter 4, also written by John, but listen to what he says, right? So when these guys come up and say, hey, I see this sign, or I saw this vision in the sky, or, or this happened, or, or this, this trinket, and it's got magical powers, and all this stuff, and uh, no, I got the, the stigmata, uh, what, what's the scripture say? First John chapter 4 says this, verse 1, dear friends, do not, what? Do not believe every spirit, but what are you supposed to do? Test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because Why? Many false prophets have gone out into the world, and that certainly is this case. You test it, even this with the stigmata, all this, just put it, go back to the scripture. What's the scripture say? Is this consistent? And if anything doesn't line up, okay, and if it's like a sort of true, or it's like people when they come, hey, so-and-so is the Antichrist, right? And we have proof, right? And they always pick on some political figure, and they'll say, because, look, the Bible says that the Antichrist will do this and will do that. Well, yeah, actually, the Bible gives about 40 different descriptions of the Antichrist, right? But then you say, well, okay, yeah, he sort of looks like he's doing that. I'll give you that. But he's not doing this, and he's not doing that, and that's not possible, and that didn't happen, and that's not... Well, he got most of them. <laughs> no, that's not how God works. If it's the real Antichrist, it's going to be every single one of them, right? It's the same thing. All this stuff just lined up. Well, it's kind of sort of... If they get one thing wrong, it cannot be from God. Test it. Go back to the Word of God. That's what these people unfortunately don't do. Superstitions, stigmata, signs, so-called prophets. Okay. Um, in fact, uh, let me give you another one of their so-called signs. Your signs, right? All big about signs, right? Uh, in fact, remember, guys, I showed you that uh, video a couple weeks back, and with the compilation of people worshiping these statues of Mary, and they're supposed to be uh, uh, crying and honey coming out of her eyeballs and. And, uh, and the one had the, the supposed blood, you know, coming out of the temple and stuff. Remember that? Right? And remember my comment? Looks like pigeon dropping to me, bum. You know, <laughs> you know, I kid you not, I had to read this. And uh, I'm going to read to you an actual text. Corey, remember Corey? One of our interns, he moved back to uh, Louisiana. He texted me this the, uh, that Wednesday, a couple weeks ago, right after, because he was watching online, right? So I'll say, hi, Corey. Hi, Corey. Same watch him. And listen to what he said. Remember I said, uh, that, come on, that's pigeon dropping, right? Listen to what he says. He says, Pastor Billy, I uh, uh, hope all is well with the family and the church. And I saw the service uh, f- uh, from last night. And you probably don't remember, but that bleeding Mary statue, he's in Louisiana, and that's where it was. He said, is right across the street from my house, right? He, he said, ha ha, you said that man, uh, that, that is the, the blood that is from pigeon, right? And he said, listen, he was there when that was the TV broadcast. He said, a reporter asked me, uh, when it was going on, what I thought about it, and I said, well, I don't know, but we have 12 tomato plants in the backyard, so you tell me what's more likely, uh, that concrete is bleeding, or maybe a bird had a little too much tomato. <laughs> he said, it didn't make the news, though, haha. Uh-huh. Anyway, tell everybody, said hello. <laughs> Can you believe that? What are the odds of that? He lived right next door. It's all a bunch of baloney. Get back, tested to the word of God. All this superstitious baloney, and they suck people in, man. That's not marrying a piece of bark. That's a piece of bark, right? You just want it to be, and on and on. But here's another one. This is the latest one. Did you guys know, according to Catholic superstition, that we are headed for a bad omen in 2017? Yes, and let me tell you the proof. This is the actual article. Hey, one of the uh, most famous reoccurring Catholic miracles is supposedly the liquefaction of the dried blood of St. Gennaro. A bishop of Naples, martyred around 305 AD, and he's also the city's patron saint. So this dead guy is supposed to be looking after the city. I mean, guys, you say that city's in a heap of trouble, right? Okay, anyways, here's how it goes. Starting in 1389, the vial of St. Gennaro's blood typically turns liquid three times a year. On the Saturday before the first Sunday of May on his saint's feast day. So if it's a Thursday and you're on a southbound train with a basket of oranges going north and then it's humid on the third day of the fourth leg of the chicken of the sandwich. Whatever. Anyways, whatever. It always gets confused. But anyway, so, so it's September 19th, supposedly it happens. And then again, it supposedly happens on December 16th. Now listen to this. And, oh, by the way, they say, and, and that's when Mount Vesuvius erupted in 1631. You getting all this? You paying attention? Right? This is serious stuff. Uh, the blood liquefied, they said, though, here's the problem. The blood supposedly liquefied, like it's supposed to, on September 19th. 
Okay, but it didn't. This was just a few months back. Okay, uh, but it did not on December 16th. Oh, no. And quote, the failure of the blood to liquefy signals war, famine, and disease. Yeah, I wasn't worried either. Uh, but anyway, then, then listen to their supposed proof. And again, what, if anything gets wrong, it can't be from God. This is, first of all, a bunch of baloney. But listen, as their supposed proof text, the relic failed. In, like they're saying, like, this happened before, and it was just all kinds of bad stuff. Quote, the relic failed to liquefy in September 1939 when World War II broke out. <clears throat> Notice they just said September. Remember they said the date, it has to happen on September 19th and December 16th? You know why they didn't say September 19th? Because that's not when World War II broke out, September 1st. <laughs> You're stretching it, right? Give me a break. Come on, it's in the same article, right? Very next paragraph. And then they said, but, and also a cholera outbreak uh, happened in Naples in 1973. And in 1980, there was a deadly earthquake. Yeah, along with 5,000 other ones. I mean, <laughs> Give me a break. And that's just get, get back to the word of God. Okay. Now I bring that up, okay, because there's another one out there that people are getting duped on. Superstition, Steins, this all you got are you serious? I, I would I wouldn't listen to anything from any Roman Catholic thing, any supposed truth, because you don't go to the Bible. You don't stick to the Word of God. You go to all these visions and dreams and experiences and miracles and tomato droppings and all kinds of weird, what? The one I had to kick, though, this one, this is getting popular today, even in the Protestant church, and i got to kick this one. It's the old St. Malachi prophecy. Ha, ha, ha. Now, some of you guys in, involved in prophecy might have heard of this, but let me expose that for what it is. St. Malachi is a Catholic priest, or was a Catholic priest. Uh, problem number one. Do they follow the Scripture? Do they teach the Scripture? Is it biblical? Absolutely not. Okay, he was a Catholic priest. He later was an archbishop. Supposed several miracles were attributed to him, according to the Roman Catholic Church. Right? I don't know if pigeons landed on him too. I don't know. Uh, but he was also the first Irishman to be canonized by the Roman Catholic Church. Not only Malachi, but Saint Malachi. You know, so whole, the whole, so the whole thing surrounding what Roman Catholic false teaching. So again, would I listen to anything coming from this guy? No, you might as well go listen to Nose Hair Damas. I mean, Nostradamus or any of those other guys that get supposed visions and whatever. Right? Anyway, but Malachi is known today for a set of prophecies, and this is big on the internet all out there, purportedly written by him in 1139 concerning the future line of popes. Uh, his list started out with a contemporary, his contemporary, a Pope uh, Celestine III, continued through the next 112 popes. The last pope, according to him, was going to be a guy named Petrus Romanus, or Peter the Roman, whose reign would end with Judgment Day. And Malachi's vision of the future included a brief, cryptic ooh, description of each pope. Now, according to this guy, this Catholic guy, this Catholic saint guy, who supposedly did Catholic miracles, wrong, 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 and then I'm going to listen to you here. Mm, double wrong. But anyway, here's what he says the last five popes. This is what is going to buzz on the internet. Now, according to him, the last five popes, before Judgment Day comes, is Flower of Flowers, which is supposed to be Pope Paul VI, of the Half Moon, which is supposed to be Pope Juan Pablo I, from the Toil of the Sun, which is supposed to be Pope John Paul II, the Glory of the Olive, which is supposed to be Pope John Paul II, and, uh, uh, or uh, the Pope Benedict XVI, and then Peter the Roman, which is supposed to now be Pope Francis. Okay, And also, the others say that in his writings that there's supposed to be a, a sort of a, a black pope, uh, also, that's going to be in his writings and whatever. But here's the whole point. Should we listen to this guy? He's going to tell us how the end times come, and we should give credence to anything he says. Are you kidding me? I can't believe the Christians are getting caught up in this. This is crazy. Listen to this. Malachi, I don't care what, St. Malachi, St. Catchafly, wax on, wax off, do whatever you're doing there. It's, I don't care what you're, I don't care if you're saint, whatever. Your whole system of, is outside the scripture. And you're supposed to do these supernatural miracles by an organization that listens to demonic teachings and teaches a false gospel. I'm not listening to nothing you say to determine my future or anything. But people get into that. Malachi was immersed in the teaching and the dogmas of the Catholic Church. His so-called prophetic utterances and dreams are questionable at best. His prophecy is extra-biblical. It's not found here. Number one mistake. What are you supposed to do? Test it according to... Bang. Is it biblically based? No. 
Number one. Number two, the whole concept of the, his whole prophecies based on popes, which the pope and the office of the pope is totally unbiblical. Problem number two. None of it lines up with the word of God. Rather than interpret the end times according to the dreams of a false teaching Catholic mystic, Protestant, shouldn't we trust the word of God? You want to know the end times? There's all, nearly one-third of the Bible deals with Bible prophecy. Once again, what's the problem? Is not the Bible good enough for you anymore? And I'm talking to Protestants, not Catholics now. Well, what happened? Was Revelation too boring for you? How about Daniel? Oh, Daniel, if I have to listen to Daniel one more time. Oh, Zechariah. I need to go find something more exciting. How about the dreams of a false teaching Catholic mystic dead guy who I can't verify? Yeah! You know. What are we doing? What in the world are we doing? We'll sit here on the one hand and say, oh, no, it's the Bible, the only Bible. But we get sucked into this baloney too. What's God say? Test it. If it's not biblical, run. And if it's from God, it's 100% correct all the time. Not sort of, maybe kind of. Okay, stick to it. We're getting, we're getting duped. I love this. The Bible warns, though, if you stick to it, about false prophets like this guy who speak as though their oracles were given by God. And yet God says to these people, Jeremiah 23, 32, Indeed, I am against those who prophesy false dreams, declares the Lord. They tell them and lead my people astray with their reckless lies, yet I did not appoint them. Is there any biblical evidence that God would ever appoint a false teaching Catholic mystic in a false organization that has a false gospel? Zero. Why would you expect truth coming out of that source? All right. Next one, uh, open your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to take a look at another one. We made it to the four S's there, 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, if you find 3 Timothy, what do you do? New Bible. new Bible, that's right, it's not in there. 2 Timothy, 1 Timothy, and go to chapter 4. We've seen this many times, but by way of, again, a couple more false teachings, uh, and then we'll get on to, Lord willing, how do you witness these folks, okay? False teachings, and it's going to mention two things here. And what's interesting now, you want to talk about what's going to happen in the last days? What's some characteristics in the last days? Well, here's what God says. And guess who's involved in both of them? Rhymes with Roman Catholics. Okay, <laughs> very interesting. That's kind of ironic. Uh, here's what he says, okay? And uh, let's take a look there at uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. It says this, The Spirit clearly says that when, in the latter times, some are going to abandon the faith, right? Get away from the Bible. Unfortunately, that's happening. And follow deceiving spirits. Look, look, it's, it's, it's tears coming from her eyes. No, it's not. It's a pigeon. Tomatoes. Call Corey. Deceiving spirits, things stopped by what? Demons. Demons. Are you serious? Yes. Hello, I am appearing to you as the Virgin Mary. You must now worship me and build Marian shrines. I'm the mediatrix. You have to go through me to be saved. I'm the one that will... That's demonic. We're going down the list. Everything we've been studying, it's exactly what the Scripture's saying. I'm not saying it's all just about Catholics, but they certainly goes right down the list, doesn't it? Right? And then they're going to follow things taught by demons. Now listen, such teachings come through who? Hypocritical liars. We're going to get to that in a second. Okay, whose conscience have been seared with a hot iron. They forbid, here it is, two more attributes. What are they going to do? They forbid people to marry, and they order them to abstain from certain foods. <gasps> Pastor Billy, you always talk about chicken. You shouldn't eat chicken. Maybe that's you. I've actually heard that. Now, my response is, of course, now I've said, if I says it is wrong for you to ever eat chicken uh, in the context, like I forbid you to eat chicken, uh, that would be wrong. Uh, my thing is, okay, fine. If you want to eat chicken, go for it. If you want to go to the hospital, that's up to you. If you want to get sick right away, you know, you can eat chicken all you want. I'm not saying you can't eat chicken. I'm just saying, why would you eat chicken when you got perfectly good cow and pig to go? In fact, when you put a, a pig on the cow, it's like, pow. I mean, that's a, what a, that's, but I digress. Is that good enough to rationalize my chicken thing? <laughs> Apparently not. But let's just move on. No, but they literally say, no, you can't. Right? Whatever. So I, that's just a preference. Right? I'm just trying to help you out. But anyway, so anyway, so, uh, but anyway basically what they do, forbid to marry. And abstain from certain food. What's the thing that Catholics do, even still to this day? Rhymes with what to do on Fridays. No meat, but they say that you can eat a fish. Now, last time I checked, talk about a hypocritical liar. A uh, fish is a meat. Uh-huh. 
Okay, but let's take a look at that. Uh, why do Catholics eat fish on Friday? Or better yet, here's technically the rule. The rule is to abstain from warm-blooded flesh meat on Friday. Right? Warm blood. Well, okay. Fish is meat. What? Who? But we'll get to that in a second. But anyway, but the whole thing is a Catholic penance. Right? So what's a penance? We already saw it's something you do, it's a work you do to get rid of your punishment for your sins. Is that biblical? Absolutely not. Okay, it's a Catholic penance, and the reason why it's Friday is because that's when our Lord Jesus, the real Jesus, was crucified, and that's what they say. Okay? Uh, centuries ago, the Catholic Church had, uh, and, and here's the issue, um, they keep changing it. Right? Uh, they used to have, it started out as a law that forbid consuming meat, period. On all Wednesdays and Fridays and Saturdays. That's how it started. Then later this rule was relaxed to remove meat from the diet on Ash Wednesday and all Fridays. Then in 1966, Catholic bishops here in America, with the blessing apparently of Pope Paul VI, further relaxed the rule. But wait a second. Now you got an oxymoron. Talk about hypocritical liar. On the one hand, you say that the rulings of the church councils and the decisions and the decrees from the Pope and the Vatican are ex cathedra. They are on par with the scripture, i.e. they're infallible. Well, if they're infallible, how can we keep changing it? Hypocritical liars. And then you try to point it out. Oh, seared conscience. I can't even talk to you. Right? It's exactly also what the text says. Right, so they keep changing. So nowadays, meat is only prohibited on Ash Wednesday, Good Friday, and the Fridays during uh, Lent season. Uh, Catholics are obligated to observe this fast as a minimum. As a minimum. And, but they can make up stricter requirements for themselves if they so desire, if you want to work around that issue. All right, but anyway, so the stated reason for abstaining from meat on Fridays during Lent is to remind the faithful that Jesus died on Friday. But listen to this. Jesus gave up his body, his flesh. Right, is what they say. And Catholics, in an effort to, listen, quote, attain greater communion with Christ, refrain from consuming flesh. Hypocritical liars. You got another problem here. Wait a second. You have a practice out right now, and you're still enforcing two Catholics today, that in order to attain a greater communion with Christ, I need to refrain from consuming flesh. Yet... You promote this thing called the Eucharist in the Mass, which you say turns into the actual flesh, the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which you say I have to do. But then you got another practice that says, no, I will go closer to Christ if I refrain from flesh. Which is it? And what do you do if this lands on the same time you're supposed to do Mass? That's like, what are you going to, you know, you get the grocery store. Remember, remember when they first started coming out with that option? Right, the stress that was created. You get there in that checkout line, and they would sit there. I just put my groceries in the bag. Wait, oh no, no. Would you like paper? Would you like plastic? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, whatever. Let's move on. Uh, but the whole question is, well, wait a second. That, but, but why about fish? Fish is meat. What's what's going on here? Well, listen to this. The United States Conference of Catholic Bishops states that fish is a different category of animal. Wow. Yeah, animal. That's the one. <laughs> What? But okay, that's okay. Hypocritical liar. You got to be kidding me. All of this, you get caught in a lie. You get a cotton in the Well, well, actually, well, oh, and by the way, they also allow, even though they come from animals, you can apparently eat eggs, butter, and milk. So, yeah. But again, if it rains on a Saturday and you're hopping on one leg on a train going southbound, then you maybe can't do something. If it's misting or you forgot your wallet. I don't know. Let's move on. Uh, abstaining from meat is a man-made ritual from the Catholic Church. It has no inherent spiritual value. It cannot and does not draw a person closer to Christ. Give me a break. Right? But again, what, what, it's a penance. It's, you, you do this because you've got to do this thing that we've just thrown out there. And boy, we've got a bunch of them. Right? And then you're supposed to work off your punishment. Total blasphemy. Now, I did come across this. This is interesting. This is, if you ever wondered, why is this still in their menu? Right? The Catholic practice of abstaining from meat on Friday was the reason for the creation of the McDonald's filet fish sandwich. <laughs> yeah, listen to this. Because the hamburger sales dropped off noticeably on Fridays, and so the owner of the franchise in Cincinnati uh, introduced the new offering, the filet fish sandwich, and sales picked up again. Right? Took advantage of this crazy Catholic practice. Can you believe that? Absolutely wonder. You wonder why they won't take it off? Well, it's a guaranteed sale. 
Right? People still falling for this baloney, right? But, and listen to what they says. Many Catholics, though, are not aware that the Friday abstinence rule is still in effect. Right? The post-Vatican II modification of the church law only allowed the consumption of meat if, if some other sacrifice or good work was substituted in its place. So if you're sick and tired of that McDonald's filet of fish, you still, still got to do something. And your only other option is you need to remember these three subsections that you can possibly do to stop eating that fish sandwich on Friday. And that's you could pray to the stations of the cross, say extra rosaries, whip out that bead, okay, or do some other additional similar offering. All for what? To supposedly work off your punishment for your sins. You've got to be kidding me. Crazy stuff. Oh, they're also, believe it or not, behind. Did you know that many Roman Catholics have came up with all kinds of liquor? That's probably not a, a good thing. But look, Catholic monks. Uh, uh, how many of you guys heard the uh, Dom Perignon? Right? And uh, that was actually started by a Catholic guy, believe it or not. Uh, 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 that was in Benedict Abbey in the Champagne region of France. That's where it's called Champagne. And, and listen to this. The story goes that when he was doing all this stuff, uh, he tasted the first product of the new method, right? And he called his fellow monks and said, quote, Brothers, come quickly. I'm drinking the stars. Oh! <laughs> Well, they also have created all kinds of wines and brandies and different liqueurs. And, in fact, even beers. Lots of beers come from the Catholics, too, in case you're wondering. Uh, uh, in fact, one called uh, Jägermeister. You guys hear that one, Bram? And, uh, anyway, it's got a picture of a stag with a cross on it between its antlers. You know why? Because that's cool and manly. Men will buy it. No. Listen to this. It's an allusion to the conversion of St. Hubert, who's the patron saint of hunters. Yeah, because we all know drinking alcohol and getting drunk while you're hunting is a good thing. Wow, you got to be kidding. And that's right, believe it or not, did you know they're even behind? Jess, are you here? Pay attention. Cappuccinos. We talked about that with that new coffee bar. Just don't do this. But anyway, uh, listen to this. Uh, cappuccino. Uh, apparently this uh, uh, friar, Catholic friar, uh, uh, named uh, Marco, uh, he was a capuchin friar. Right? He found sacks, as the story goes, of coffee beans that were left behind by the Turks. And after he brewed himself a, a cup, he found it bitter for his taste. So he added milk and honey, thus creating the first cup of the tasty beverage. And the Viennese called it the little cappuccino, right? Or cappuccino. And, and listen to this. And, and, and also, uh, after the Friar Marco, whose habit was the same color of the drink. <gasps> it's got to be from God. Whatever, so whatever. So you get all kinds of crazy stuff. So you forbid people to eat certain uh, foods, and it's just a bunch of baloney, and it's not going to shave off any of your punishment. Only Christ can forgive us of our punishment, not of your works, lest anyone should boast. Now, what was the second thing that it mentioned there? These people, they're going to turn away from the truth. They're going to get into all the superstitious, crazy stuff, demonic teachings. They're hypocrites. They're liars, hypocritical liars. Right? You're going to forbid people to uh, eat certain food and... Forbid them to, of all things, to marry. Okay, interesting. Do Catholics do that? Uh-huh. And listen to that. That's called the celibacy of the priest. Now, first of all, the whole Catholic priesthood is not biblical, right? We don't have a priesthood today as, as our leadership. That's the Old Testament, right? Jewish folks, right? We'll have pastors and elders, or pastor is an elder, uh, and things that, deacons and things of that nature, but we don't do the priest uh, as far as the official uh, that. So that's wrong number one. But in regards to celibacy, 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says, an unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Okay, but an, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, so the interests are divided. So the Bible does talk about there are people that are celibate, and that's okay. That's what you want to do. So, you know, and he says, but the thing is, the, biblical, the, the Bible says it's allowed, but it's not commanded. It's not like you have to. Right? Or you're doomed, or you're excluded from leadership unless you become celibate. Right? And, and all Paul says there, he says, listen, it's just a practical thing. Right? If you don't get married, then you don't have, you know, you got all 100% free time for Jesus. But when you get married, what happens? Oh, no, there's somebody else to take care of. Right? You know? And then here comes these crumb snatchers, and they're pulling at you, going, mm, food, food. Right? Then next thing you know, I've got to get a pet, and got to buy a house. Right? You don't have as much time when you get married. That's like, nothing wrong with marriage. Marriage is a gift from God. But that's what he's saying. Listen, if you're single and you're not married, right? And praise God. You get more time to serve God. But I'm, at the same time, I'm not against marriage. Right? In fact, did you know the Bible, when it specifically says about leadership, frankly, the Bible assumes that all of leadership is married, not celibate. 
Let me give you a couple of those examples. 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, Paul assumes that elders, bishops, overseers, and deacons, notice nobody's a priest, uh, will be married with the phrases, and I quote, the husband of one wife, he must manage his own family well, his children must obey him with proper respect. So therefore, the point is, it's unbiblical to require celibacy for leadership, right? Even if they had true biblical leadership, which it's not, but it's still an unbiblical practice to say you have to. Now, the problem is that it's unbiblical, so do you think God's going to bless it? No. What happens to anything that's unbiblical? Eventually, what's going to happen? It's a lie. Lies hurt. The enemy's out to kill, steal, and destroy. Sin hurts, harms, destroys. Right? So eventually, it's going to cause destruction. That's what lies do. Right? And this lie is no different. Listen to this. The Roman Catholic Church requirement of celibacy is a sad example okay, of uh, taking something the Bible encourages but not, does, does not demand and transforms it into something absolutely uh, harmful. The result is failures of this because they say you've got to be celibate. The result is failures in the areas of adultery, fornication, and sexual abuse of children. Uh, in fact, we all know this. It's all over the news, folks. It's been for decades, unfortunately. It doesn't stop. And we'll get to that in a second. Why doesn't it stop? Uh, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of individuals have come out. And that's the ones that have come out. What about the ones that haven't? And have claimed and proved and shown sexual abuse from the priests of the Roman Catholic Church. Well, why do you think they're having sexual problems? What are you doing? What's your false teaching? That specifically, the Bible said, will come in the last days. You're saying these guys can't marry, right? Anyway, so what's happening? These pedophile priests, because it's not just adultery, right? But who are they going after? Kids. This is pedophilia. I mean, all sin's bad. All sexual sin's bad. Fornication's bad. Sex outside of marriage is bad. I'm not trying to categorize sin, but this is pedophilia. It goes on and on and on and on, Right? And they have been, and I, but rather than defrocking the priests, getting rid of them, the Catholic Church, in most instances, attempt to cover up the sexual abuse, and then they simply transfer them to a new parish. And the guy keeps doing it again and again. The scandal and the attempted cover-up con, uh, continues to expand, reaching all the way to the papacy itself. Also, the stricture of celibacy is appealing, listen, to some men, okay, with abnormal sexual tendencies who view the priesthood as a means of keeping their desires under control. So these guys already got a problem with temptation, but they've lured into this system of works that, well, if I become a Catholic priest, they're not saved, but if I become a Catholic priest and I follow their rituals, then maybe it will help clean up my act. What's the only thing that keeps them from sin? A spirit of God. When do you get the spirit of God? When you're born again Christian. You ain't going to become a Christian under this false teaching. But these guys are lured into it. Well, maybe that's going to help me. And they find out, sure enough, you start doing the works, guess what? doesn't happen. Your temptations don't go away. But you're in there now as a priest, so guess what? Uh, the external rules, rules do not change the heart. Then they give in to sexual temptations. The result is unnatural sexual acts such as homosexuality and pedophilia. Homosexuality is a whole other issue that's also rampant as well. Now listen, also, listen to this. That's just guys who recognize they've got a problem and think that their works-based system is going to help them get rid of those unfortunate sexual sinful desires. The ones who know that they're doing this and they want to do it, they're specifically going into the Catholic Church because they know they can get away with it. And I quote, The lax rule enforcement and cover-ups have encouraged the application of pedophiles specifically to go into the priesthood. Because many pedophiles see the priesthood as a means of easy, unsupervised access to kids. And even if they get caught, what's the behavior of the Catholic Church? Pay somebody off, cover it up, send them away, even if you, and he gets to keep doing it again, right? Now, pedophile priests should be arrested and punished just as any other pedophile should be and would be. Anyone covering up and or by negligence enabling pedophilia anywhere should be prosecuted. And that includes the Catholic Church. A priest who has sexually abused anyone should never be allowed back into any kind of leadership. Uh, the pedophile priest scandal in the Roman Catholic Church is absolutely horrid. There is nothing more antithetical to the message of Christ than priests sexually abusing kids. Now, I got this article, and uh, this is from Jack and Diane Rule, R-U-H-L, if you want to check it out yourself, from the National Catholic Reporter. So I would assume that means it's from their own camp, 
And they did a three-month investigation, right? So it could have been more, but there's three months just investigating facts. And their facts came from the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. So first of all, did they give you everything, right? Because they have a history of covering things up. And is there any way to even get anything? But anyway, just based on three months and just what was given to them, they have calculated that since 1950, the amount that the Roman Catholic Church has paid out to sex abuse scandals to its victims is $4 billion. Not million, billion. That is just over a three-month investigation, just relying on what these Catholic bishops gave to them. So what is the real number? Now you're thinking, man, they must go bankrupt. No, 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 what did we see before? What do these people have all over the planet? They've got money in warehouses and Vatican and monasteries stacked to ceiling to ceiling with gold and trinkets, and they've got more wealth than they know what to do with. Now, this is pittance compared to what they got. But it's crazy as $4 billion, right? They, and and uh, they go on to say this. And this is, again, from the, the National Catholic Reporter. And I quote, And yet, they say, there are still people who happily hand over their money to the Roman Catholic Church, enroll their children in Catholic schools, and continue to go back to celebrate life events like weddings and baptism. Quote, their words, not mine. It's appalling that anyone would look at the Catholic Church and its leadership, including Pope Francis, as figures of moral authority. Wow. And yet people still keep going back, even to this degree. And they still keep going back. This is how much of a seductive tie there is. Because if you ever tried to witness to a Catholic, I mean, that's, it, it's just ingrained. Remember, because it starts off, they want to get you when you, you're even a baby and you don't even know what's going on. And they got your parents already warped and this thing you got starts off with that sprinkle. And, ah! and then from then on, it works, works, works. And don't you dare leave the Catholic Church. You're, you're doomed. You're, ah! Protestants are out to get you. Ah! And that's all you've ever known. And then here comes a Protestant wanting to tell you about Jesus. And you've got all this programming. It's very hard for them to, to bust out. So that's the question. Well, how do you witness to them? Well, I, I, I like to focus on two things. I call it, uh, number one, new thoughts, right? You just, you know, because again, they're not going to hear this from their own camp. So you just, just, just a new thought. Just drop a new thought in their head. Maybe something they never thought about. You know, hey, have you ever thought about that? And what it does is it gets them to start thinking, what am I believing? What am I believing? And is it right? It's just new thoughts. The second thing, the most important thing, okay, you follow it up with the Bible. Get them back to the Bible. There's something about reading the Bible with your own eyes, even for a Catholic. And that will begin, the Word of God, the Spirit of God will begin to draw them out. Okay, those two things. Let me give you some new thoughts. Just things to ponder if you come across a Catholic. And let's just look at some of the things that they believe in, starting with the Eucharist. When Jesus instituted the Supper, um, which we celebrate as communion, which is symbolic, Right? But anyway, we know what they teach, that it's supposedly the literal body and blood. But it says this, when Jesus instituted the supper, he had not yet been crucified. How then was the Eucharist his crucified body and blood? Because he's right there giving it. It has to be symbolic. Because he, that's a new thought. Never thought about that one before. Have you ever thought about that? New thought, new thought. Just think about that. Oh, if as the Roman Catholic Church teaches, the Eucharist wine literally becomes the blood of Jesus Christ, then how is that not violating the Old Testament law that prohibits us from drinking the blood of any flesh? Leviticus 17. Hmm, new thought, new thought. Never heard of that? Just, 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 just a question, maybe something to think about. Interpreting Scripture. Hey, the Roman Catholic Church says that individuals are not allowed to interpret the Bible, but they must submit to the teaching and the authority of the Catholic Church. Well, how then can you know if the Catholic Church is correct if we can't check it against the Scripture? New thought, new thought, new thought. And again, what did Paul say? He even praised the Bereans who checked him. Right? Uh, back against the scripture, Acts 17. Jesus, right? Ask him this question. Can you as a Catholic pray directly to Jesus, not going through Mary, and ask Jesus to forgive you of all of your sins? I say, oh yeah, we believe in Jesus, only Jesus, whatever. So, so just start, go, can, can you do that? Can you really do that? Then you ask, well, if, if you did, only to Jesus, would you be forgiven of all your sins? And if you were forgiven by Jesus of all of your sins, then do you need all the rituals and sacraments of the Roman Catholic Church in order to be forgiven? Do you see what I'm saying? You're slowly dismantling the thought process. Uh, if you're not forgiven by Jesus when you pray to him and ask to him to forgive you, then tell me why Jesus is not enough to save us. Right? Just new thoughts, new thoughts. Think about this. 
ramifications of what you're believing in. Mary, flipping around because that kind of goes hand in hand. Do you really believe that Mary is able to hear and understand the prayers of millions of people all over the world simultaneously in different languages spoken and thought? And if you do believe all those abilities, how are you not attributing God-like abilities to her, which they say they're not doing? New thought, new thought, new thought. Oh, and, and by the way, why pray to Mary when Jesus specifically said to pray to him, Matthew 11, ask him anything, John 14, and that he has all authority in heaven and earth, Matthew 28. Is not Jesus capable enough to take care of you without Mary? New thought, new thought. Prayer, hey, is a Protestant wrong for praying to Jesus alone and asking Jesus to forgive them of all their sins? Right? Now, the answer is no, but if they say no, then again, it's new thought, new thought. Then why do you keep praying to the saints? Why do you keep praying to Mary? Why do you keep doing your, you know, just, 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 let me just put something in there. Salvation. What is the saving gospel? How do you get to heaven? Try to get them to voice that out. How, how do you get there? Because you get all kinds of things wrong, but don't get this wrong. How do you get to heaven, right? What's the saving gospel? And flipping around. Are you doing what is necessary to be saved? According to the Catholic Church, this is what is necessary to be saved. And I quote, and this is from the Catechism, again, 846, 1257, 980, 1129, 1816, 2036, 2070, and 2556, if you want to check it out. According to the Catholic Church, are you doing this in order to be saved? Baptism, penance, sacraments, service and witness to the Catholic faith, keeping the Ten Commandments, and detachment from riches. Right? And if you are keeping the Ten Commandments of God, if they say that, do you go to confession? Which they tell you you have to do. But wait a second. If you think you're keeping the commandments, then why are you going to confession? And then, new thought, new thought, new thought. Right, and since it is possible, according to the Catholic Church, to lose your salvation, which you never had in the first place, according to them, uh, if you follow them, uh, are you doing enough good works to keep yourself saved? And that's the big question. Is like, how do you know enough's enough? There's no assurance, right? And according to the issue of Scripture, is it okay to exceed, listen to this, ask this question, is it okay to exceed what is written in the Scripture and to teach things that are not taught in the Scripture as though they were doctrinally true? Because, they go, oh, hey, we believe in the Bible, absolutely. All right, so then would it be right for somebody to appear on the scene and teach something outside the Bible that doesn't agree with the Bible? Absolutely not. Then why do you listen to the popes? Why do you pray to Mary? Why do you pray to saints? Why, when the Bible says that it is not of works lest anyone should boast, only Christ can forgive us, are you trying to do works to work out? You see what I'm saying? It's new thought, new thought. Okay? And so the issue is this, are Catholics even saved? Well, let's take a look at that. So we're getting ready to close. Uh, that's the most crucial question, obviously, is the belief alone uh, in Christ alone. Uh, that is, is sufficient for salvation. Do they actually believe that? No, unfortunately. The Bible is clearly and consistently states that receiving Jesus Christ as Savior by grace through faith, that's how you get saved. That's, but the Roman Catholic Church rejects this. The official position of the Roman Catholic Church is that a person must believe in Jesus Christ and be baptized and receive the Eucharist along with all the other sacraments, and obey the decrees of the Roman Catholic Church, and perform meritorious works, and not die with any moral sins, and etc., etc., etc. Right? So the Catholic diversions from the Bible on this critical of issue salvation means, yes, Catholicism is a false gospel. It is a false religion. We saw that from the get-go of our study. And so therefore, if a person believes what the Catholic Church officially teaches, he or she cannot and will not ever be saved. It, it just, it's impossible. Any claim that works or rituals must be added to faith in order for salvation to be achieved is a claim that Jesus' death was not sufficient to fully purchase our salvation. I've said it before. If anybody comes up to you, I don't care who they are, and says, oh, yeah, yeah, it's Jesus. It's Jesus and or Jesus or or Jesus but. That's not the gospel. And that's what the Catholic Church, except they keep going on and on and on and on and on. Over and over again. It's not the gospel, okay? Now, what, what, then people say, well, I know of a guy or a gal or whoever, and they're in the, in the Catholic church, and I know they're a born-again Christian. Well, let's, let's examine that. First of all, uh, it's impossible to give a universal statement on the salvation of all members of any denomination, okay? 
uh, of any sort, right? Let me give you examples. Are all Baptists saved? <sighs> if you believe that, I got some swamp land. I'm going to sell you. We're going to go snipe hunting, right? And I'm going to take you personally to KFC. You know that ain't happening. <laughs> give me a break. No, we don't know that, right? So you can't just say, well, they go to the Baptist church. They must be are all a Presbyterian saved? Of course not. A Lutheran saved, right? Salvation is determined by a personal faith in Jesus Christ alone for salvation, not by titles and not by denomination affiliation. Did you know that? Okay, number one. So listen, despite the unbiblical beliefs and practices of the Roman Catholic Church, of course there may be the possibility that there could be somebody in the midst who is a born-again Christian. But listen, however, they have to be and must be believers despite what the Catholic Church teaches. Not with what they teach. They got it from somewhere else, in other words. Right? Number one. Right? So you can't take something that's an absolute, totally small possibility that could happen and say, well, okay, accept the whole thing. That's ridiculous. Right? You can't do that. We don't even do that in Protestant. Uh, denominations, okay? Uh, but here's the point. And they remain in the Catholic Church out of ignorance of what the Catholic Church truly stands for, or, here's a big one, out of family tradition and family and peer pressure, we've seen that, or they have a desire to reach other Catholics for Christ. And that happens. I ran into people that I think they really are born again. And, and that's the rationale. Well, I know it's wrong, and I don't believe all that stuff, and it's a bunch of bullying, but I'm staying behind because I'm going to help them out. I'm going to reform them. You're never going to change the Roman Catholic Church, right? And eventually, like what happened with some folks we have here, is when they find out you're teaching the Bible, they're going to kick you out. They ain't going to wait for you to leave. <laughs> they are, they, remember what they said, everything we believe in about the gospel? Remember that one study? Anathema, anathema. They say we are the cursed ones. So if they find somebody in there that's somehow outside the Catholic Church, even though they're in the midst, in a small occurrence, actually got saved, and if you actually started to teach the Bible, they're going to kick you out. That's the reality. Okay, what, what's going on there, okay? Right, at the same time, the Catholic Church obviously leads people astray, away from the genuine faith. Again, they, they would say, we are the cursed ones because of what we believe. Jesus' words, Mark 7, 9, directed towards the Pharisee, describes the Roman Catholic Church. You have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. Okay? And then, so how do you, how do you witness these guys real quick? Well, first of all, uh, they have been brainwashed from we high. They've also been brainwashed from we high to expect resistance from those Protestants. So there's also already a negative thing when they come across you. <laughs> right? So the best way, again, to reach them, we, we, hey, hi there, Catholic person. Hi there, Protestant guy. Because they're already uh, wait, just waiting for us. And say, I have to tell you why the Pope is wrong and Mary is, that's an abomination. They're going to shut you off. Now, I'm not saying don't ever talk about this. If God leads you, more power to you. But typically, a better approach is to not necessarily go down that route at that time. The issue is, if they get truly saved, guess what? God's going to start cleaning up as they get into the Bible. He'll take care of that stuff. The issue is, get them to just, have you ever thought about, just, just try to, new thoughts, you know, have you, you know, bring out some of those inconsistencies in love, don't overwhelm them, right? But just reach out, you know, and, and then get them a Bible, Get, get them to read the Bible. Or when you're there, when you're pointing out passages, be able to defend it biblically. There's something about reading the Bible. I shared with you the story, the one lady that I was witnessing to in my office in California, right? All I did, I mean, we were going back and forth and we weren't getting anywhere. It's like I was talking to a concrete wall until we got to the point on works and that issue. And I says, and I had my Bible obviously with me and I, I flipped it around. She scooted up my desk. I said, could you read this for me? This is in the Bible, which she respected. And you know, obviously. And, and so I said, could you read that for me? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. And remember I told you the story? She read it and she says, it is, it is. And she, you could, her countenance was changing. She just read two verses from the Bible. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. It's, it's, it's by grace, through faith. And she literally, she stopped her and she goes, nobody ever told me. First time she'd ever seen that. These people are not encouraged to read the Bible. Right? 
And so there's the power of the Spirit of God from the Word of God combining new thoughts, just draw them out and, and build that relationship so that you can, can... Can you read this for me? And there's something about the Word of God uh, that will begin to do that. I, I got many testimonies of, of former Catholics, and they say the same thing. Canada, all over the place, these guys, uh, they're basically saying the same thing. What drew them out? What drew them out is they began to read the Bible for themselves over and over again. I don't have time... Uh, to share all of them. And I got to share this uh, one for you. And, uh, and I'm talking, these are guys that are on the mission field. These guys are in the Catholic, Catholic priesthood. These guys are monks. And it's the same thing is, is they got acquainted with the Bible. They began to see that from the Bible that what they were being taught was completely uh, wrong. And, and, and listen to what this one guy said. He was of the order of the Hermits of St. Augustine. He said, ignorance and superstition, idolatry are everywhere in the Catholic Church, and little effort, if any, is made to change the situation. Instead of following Christianity taught in the Bible, the people concentrate on the worship of statues and their local uh, 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 patrons as saints. And listen to what he says there. I had to share this one. He says, when I was in Cuba, okay, he says, I met in Cuba a genuine pagan, okay, a genuine pagan, okay, who worshiped idols, uh, a religion transplanted from Africa by his ancestors. And I asked him as a Catholic at that time how he could believe that a plaster idol could help him. And he replied, the idol was not expected to help him. It only represented the power in heaven which could, which he said horrified me because that was almost word for word the explanation the Roman Catholics give for rendering honor to the statue of saints. It's pagan worship over and over again. Another guy says that when he started reading the Bible, okay, he said, I, I gradually observed a wonderful change. Subject as the primacy of Peter, the papal infallibility, the priesthood, infant baptism, confession, the mass, purgatory, the immaculate conception of Mary, the bodily assumption of Mary. In time, I realized that these are, are not only are not the beliefs that are they're not in the Bible, but they're contrary to the teaching of the Scripture. So did anybody have to give him a sermon on this? No. What did he get acquainted with? In the Bible, the Word of God. Drop new thoughts, get them into the Bible, point out the Bible, read the Bible, get them to read the Bible. There's something about that combo. They don't need to realize necessarily at this point, right, that St. Malachi, catch a fly, whatever that guy was, is wrong. Right? I'm not saying you can't ever talk about those things, but they need to get into the Word of God. The big issue is stick to salvation. How do you get saved? Because if they become a born-again Christian, God's going to clean that stuff up. Right? And I, I've shared the example before. When I got saved, believe it or not, before I got saved, uh, you're looking at a guy, a guy who uh, uh, believed that uh, abortion was perfectly fine. We have no right to tell me what to do, any woman what to do. That was my mindset. Now, literally... When I got saved, literally, the moment I got saved, brand new creature in Christ, of course, when you're saved, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. Instantly, instantly, I didn't hear one sermon. I didn't read one passage in the Bible. I didn't have somebody give me a track on it. I didn't listen to a study on it. I didn't read a book, nothing on abortion and the biblical basis, why it's murder, etc. But none of that stuff. Instantly, I knew it was wrong. Instantly, the Spirit of instantly, I knew that was murder. Nobody had to tell me about it. And oftentimes we forget, listen, God, I'm not saying you can't deal with superficial issues, but when you're witnessing to a Catholic or some of these other folks, the main thing you need to keep coming back around is how do you get saved? How do you get saved? How do you get saved? Right? Because that's the issue. Because if a person becomes born again and saved, guess what the Spirit of God is going to do? He'll lead them into the truth. Oh, you're right. The papal, that's not right. Papal infallibility. Succession of people. What? No, that's not right. That's not what the Bible says. Right? Mary praying. No, that's not what the Bible says. Right? Right? And, and that's what sometimes we get off on rabbit trails. Now, believe it or not, Tom, we're going to finish that book. Here we go. Ready? we got two blanks to finish, and we're done. Big questions. Can somebody from the Roman Catholic Church be saved? Obviously, uh, yeah, but it's in spite of the Roman Catholic Church because they're not saved through their gospel. That's a false gospel. The RC gospel, Roman Catholic gospel, is a false gospel. That's your blank. They're false, right? A Catholic can be saved through the true gospel, at which time they're no longer Roman Catholic because they've accepted the gospel that the what? The Roman Catholic Church condemns. So you really shouldn't even call yourself a Roman Catholic because Roman Catholic teaching condemns a, what a born-again Christian uh, believes in, etc., whatever. Now, uh, once saved, can a Roman uh, uh, Christian stay in a Catholic church? Well, yeah, but again, it doesn't make sense to do so. We looked at many areas that there, it's a false gospel. There's a multitude of unbiblical teachings. Uh, Mary praying to saints, praying for dead, purgatory, etc. If a person claims to be a true Christian, yet stays in the Roman Catholic church, here's the key word, supporting his doctrines. But they say, oh, I'm saved. Oh, yeah. 
but they continue to support its doctrines, then that would seem to indicate that they still uh, have accepted the Roman Catholic Church's false gospel. Because eventually you're going to come out. You're either going to come out or they're going to kick you out. But you're not going to stay forever. You're not going to change the Catholic Church, unfortunately. They're not going to budge. But if you sit there and support what they're doing, right, then it makes you wonder, have you really received the true gospel? Right? And then focus on this. We've seen this every single time. Sanctify your heart. Be ready to give a defense. That's why we're here. Pray. It's a spiritual battle. Pray that God would open their hearts and, hearts and minds. Be ready with a good understanding of the scriptures. Right? Don't argue. Don't attack them. Define your words. Don't get off on tangents. Right? Uh, and things of that nature. Stick to the important points. Authority, i.e. the Bible. The nature of God. The person work of Jesus. Nature of man. The means of salvation. Big time. Avoid the Christian jargon. Uh, share your testimony. And as an assurance of eternal life. Why? Because what do they have? When I was thinking about this again today in my notes, what came to me was, man, this ain't much different. The Roman Catholics, this might sound off base, but let me explain it. This, ain't, this isn't much different than what the Muslim must feel like. The Muslim does not have what we have. Because they're not taught this. They don't have an intimate Abba Father relationship. The, the Muslim God, which is not the God of the Bible, as we saw before in our Islam study, okay, Allah is a mean ogre of a God. And you ain't, there is no intimacy there at all. Right? So, so the, what we oftentimes take for granted, a personal, loving relationship. They don't have. And can I tell you something? The Catholics don't have. Because they're always afraid. I'm going to purgatory. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to confession this. Which leads to the second thing that they don't have, nor do the Muslims have. And that's what's called eternal security. They don't even know if they're going to get there. I, maybe, I don't know. And you and I, we don't have to sweat bullets. We have peace with God right now through Jesus Christ. We know for sure right now we are headed to heaven. They don't have that. Muslims or Catholics. And so when you share your personal testimony, a personal, direct relationship with God, the creator of the universe, and I know through the word of God, the Bible, I'm headed to heaven. That speaks volumes, because they don't have that. They don't have anything close to that. Now, avoid getting bogged down with secondary issues. That's your last blank there, Tom. You're a man of faith. Give it for Pastor Tom. Back there, must be praying back there. Don't get bogged down with secondary issues like Mary, transubstantiation, icons, etc. That's not central. Uh, focus on sin and the inability to save yourself through good works, and give them what? I give us a New Testament. Give them a Bible, right? If you can only give them part, give them the New Testament and show them uh, and present to them the true gospel. So things to consider and keep in mind. All right, well, we did it. Give yourself a big hand there. You made it through 12 exciting weeks. And, uh, and uh, uh, I don't know what you're clapping for. You're not gonna, it's not going to get rid of any of your punishment or penance or whatever. <laughs> you know, good. Did, did we have to start all over? That was disappointing. No, uh, but... Uh, uh, that's obviously only through Christ. But we are going to start, Lord willing, next time in Mormonism. In Mormonism. And frankly, uh, for the first two studies in Mormonism, uh, well, yeah, don't bring your workbook. Uh, because we are going to watch, like we did when we started Catholicism, we started off with a video that was put just to whet your appetite. That this isn't just me being an anti-Catholic guy. right? No. And that video, if you remember, was put on by all former Catholics. So they brought it out. They've been in there. We're going to look for two times in a row by former Mormons. Mormons even in the Mormon priesthood. And they're going to bring out to us before we bust into the workbook, which will reiterate that, what these people really believe. And it is just a combo of occult practices. It's a combo of... It's hard to even describe what they actually believe. It sounds like a cartoon science fiction story. But it really is what they... They don't tell you that when they come knock at the door. Uh, but we'll get into really what they believe and how, once again, like the Catholic Church, they've done a masterful job in the media presenting themselves as if they were just another denomination of Christianity. Not even close. Once again, we're going to see they too, like the Catholic Church, is another false pseudo-cult. They're fake Christians. But we'll take a look at that next time. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? 
You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall 
and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it and they can't earn it. If he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that right now? Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and, and Get a Life Ministries. And if there's anything that we can do for you, uh, please don't hesitate uh, to contact us. Uh, our number, our information will uh, come up here on the screen shortly. And uh, uh, if there's anything we could do for you, please don't hesitate to let us know. Uh, thank you for uh, joining us. And uh, remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.